The first question is from an anonymous. Is it the right way to try to teach the mind that there is no me? This is not me. How so? So teaching the mind to have wisdom arise or the seeing of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not self. Uh, these are the method for us to develop wisdom. And so developing the wisdom by contemplating on the rupa, form or materiality, and nama, the mentality or material phenomena. So rupa, form has uh, the bodily form, our bodies, uh, bodies of others. The nama is the feelings, the perceptions, mental formations, and the sense consciousness. So it is all uh, not self, not at me. So when wisdom arises, then we're able to let go and we won't have suffering or we'll be able to be free from suffering because the attachment, the clinging, this is the cause for suffering to arise. So the mind that is uh, firmly established in sila, samadhi, and banya, morality, concentration, and wisdom, uh, it goes against, you could say, fights against the kilesas and mental defilements. And if the path factors are strong, then you'll be able to win over these defilements. Uh, but if the kilesas are stronger, then attachment, clinging will arise, and that will be the cause for suffering to arise. So that we're coming here to practice now is so that we can develop our mindfulness and wisdom uh, to arise so that we're able to go against and fight against the mind or the original mind that it has that delusion and ignorance. And sometimes we will be able to win against the defilements and at other times we will be defeated by them. Uh, but this is natural to, to have it this way and to be like this. Uh, so to see and to teach the mind that rupa and nama, materiality, mentality, is not self, not me, not mine, that is the correct path to practice. So all the feelings that arise with the mind, whether it's pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, or neither pleasant or unpleasant feelings, these are all not to be taken as a self. And the mind that has the defilements of greed, anger, delusion, or the mind that doesn't have greed, anger, delusion, again, that's uh, not a self. And so everything that arises, then we teach the mind that that isn't a self, it's not me. And then this is when we can uh, have letting go, just seeing things as being simply their, their state, uh, they simply so, they just the way they are, uh, whether they're the form, the feelings, 
mental formations, perceptions, sense consciousness arising, they're simply uh, those phenomena that arise. They're not a self. But first, we do have this sense of self and we do take this sense of self in order to build goodness, to practice dana, sila and bhavana, training the mind. So we have to use that self to train our minds first so that we're able to develop wisdom. But that we're able to use contemplation or bring up wisdom or gain wisdom in this way, we do have to have all our spiritual faculties ready or sufficient. So our mindfulness has to be enough, our samadhi concentration has to be enough as well. Uh, because then when we teach the mind, the mind will believe it, what we're teaching it. It will believe that it's not me, not mine. And then this uh, will lead the mind to let go. But in the beginning, when we have this uh, sense contact, I sees form, ear hears sound, etc. When we have uh, sense contact, then a self arises, uh, greed, anger, delusion arises instantly, and it happens so quickly. So we need to have the mindfulness to teach uh, the mind that it isn't me, it isn't mine. Um, but if we have very strong clinging attachments, then when we try to teach the mind this, the mind won't let go or it won't reduce the clinging there. So we need to then train the mind first to have calm and peace through using our kamatana, our meditation object. If we have a lot of anger uh, and we say that it's not me, it's not mine, uh, and wisdom doesn't arise, that's because our mindfulness and samadhi is just too weak. And so we then need to develop the object of metta, loving-kindness, goodwill. We need to train in that. Or we reflect on death, that we uh, must die for sure, they must die for sure. And this then uh, may be able to reduce, lessen the clinging there. So in the beginning, we have to develop that uh, samatha, tranquility, meditation, make the mind peaceful, or we develop uh, metta, goodwill, so that we'll be able to reduce and lessen that anger. Uh, and all we can reflect, all uh, living beings, they want to have happiness and they don't want to experience suffering. And so when we reflect in the right way, then the mind can have more ease and peace can arise. Uh, and so the level of peace must be enough for us uh, to be able to teach the mind. Uh, we must be able to separate somewhat the mind and the objects or the, the sense objects or mental objects. Uh, then we can teach the mind and wisdom then arises. Uh, like the teachers, they'll teach us that we, uh, we, we teach ourselves me that, sorry, we teach ourselves that it isn't a me, it isn't a mine, uh, but that is for someone that has a solid base of samadhi. 
But for Dhamma practitioners, we may be able to uh, teach ourselves sometimes, and the mind will believe it uh, sometimes. Uh, but if it doesn't yet believe it, it won't uh, reduce that clinging, then we have to train the mind first in having that foundation of peace and calm. The next question is from Singapore, from Mr. Tan Pengbun. During meditation, my mind drifts to fantasies and stories that are not real. When I notice them, I bring the mind back. May I know if it is possible for the mind to settle and ground itself to reality? Or should I not get too worried about it? Thank you. So samadhi is this firmly concentrated mind. Sati is recollection or mindfulness. Sampajanya is clear awareness. So we uh, come to train our minds to be peaceful. Uh, but in the beginning, the mind will proliferate a lot because it's used to that. Uh, it's made a habit out of that. Ever since we've been born, we've been learning to use our thinking mind, proliferating about learning, using thoughts, memorizing. Uh, there's thoughts and proliferations about the past, proliferations about the future. And so the mind isn't uh, peaceful within this present moment or it's not able to stay there for very long. And we can notice this in the span of one day, uh, how much proliferation that comes up, it's all uh, involved or coming from a sense of self, me and mine. Uh, there's liking to something uh, and then the mind proliferates uh, in that way following that. There's disliking arising and then the mind proliferates following that. So when we come to train the mind at first, then we want the mind to be peaceful, uh, but it's not, we aren't able to do that at first. Uh, there's a lot of uh, proliferation there still, so we just have our mindfulness, bring up mindfulness to follow that proliferation. We just determine our efforts and we endure uh, and very patient with it a lot. Uh, all these sort of uh, fantasies and stories uh, and thoughts may come up of all sorts and we may sit meditation for 30 minutes and uh, we're already at the end of the meditation sit and we've just uh, brought back our awareness just then at the end of that sit. Or maybe walking meditation and there's all sorts of uh, thoughts there, or proliferations, all sorts of stories coming up. Even for uh, some Dhamma speakers, they may be able to walk meditation for four hours, but through that whole four hours, they're thinking about uh, what to talk about or thinking about the Dhamma that they're going to give a sermon on. Uh, and so, they may be peaceful to one level where the mind isn't going to anything outside of that Dhamma that they're going to uh, give, but it's still proliferating in that scope of Dhamma. And so uh, there's still uh, 
proliferations there, and so they may be skilled at giving Dhamma talks, but they haven't yet gained that level of peace uh, in their mind. Uh, but it's still proliferating uh, of a meritorious type, uh, but the one that goes beyond thought, this is what we call kusala or, or skillful, uh, that one is uh, beyond uh, or, or above all merit. So the Buddha, he did say that if one can gain just uh, a small peace or a day of peace, then uh, even if one had a very long life of a hundred years and never uh, gaining that same peace, that uh, the result of just a small moment of peace uh, has much greater result than uh, even a long life without peace. And so that peace is a lot of merit then. And so one just has to endure in the beginning and put in the effort uh, in the practice and one day the mind will become peaceful. If one sits meditation and the mind's thinking a lot, one can try to instead listen to Dhamma, a Dhamma talk along with their meditation and that may help. Or one can try to chant a lot until the mind feels very tired and worn out. Uh, in uh, what Nongpapong, Venerable Ajahn Anhan, was sharing the story that when he was there and they were building the Uposita Hall there, uh, they had a work uh, duty or project there that they had to carry the dirt uh, for the, the land of the Uposita Hall. And it was very uh, sort of coarse work and there was some talking involved and the body was physically very tired uh, because they'd been working already for four hours like that, so it was very tiring. But then he thought to himself that, oh, why don't I establish mindfulness with what I'm doing in this present moment? And so then he established his mindfulness that when he received uh, the bucket of dirt from his right hand and passed it on to the other monk uh, with his left hand, he would establish mindfulness with that uh, whole process established in the present moment. And from this, he was able to gain uh, rapture and the mind became peaceful. The body and mind uh, felt very light. Uh, and so we can uh, do and develop our mindfulness in that way in order to overcome the, the proliferations and thoughts until we're able to make the mind peaceful. Uh, we then can establish the mind in the present moment. Uh, but in the beginning, you don't worry about it too much, just come down to the training. If there's a lot of fantasies, stories and thoughts coming up, you can reflect, contemplate to yourself that life is uncertain. It's not a sure thing. Why bother thinking about all these fantasies and stories? Uh, we may die or life is uncertain. So whether it's thoughts of the past or thoughts of the future, then you see the drawbacks of that and come back and seeing that it's much better to be in this present moment here. And maybe from that one is able to see the Dhamma. There was once in the time of the Buddha when Venerable Ananda had a friend 
uh, a lay friend who was a merchant and he did some trading between uh, various cities like Rajagaha, Aranasi and, and uh, where Jetawana was, Sawati. Uh, and so this lay man's mind, this merchant, he was always thinking about his business and how to make a profit. Uh, and so uh, the Buddha, uh, when, when Venerable Ananda asked or talked to the Buddha about uh, this lay friend, the Buddha told him uh, that your friend doesn't have much time left uh, to live. And so Venerable Ananda told his friend this, and that he wouldn't have much uh, of his life left, and so that he shouldn't be heedless or careless in his life. Don't think about uh, only money and your business. And this layperson was quite uh, wise himself, that he thought, oh, Venerable Ananda coming to tell me this it wasn't something uh, easy or simple. Uh, and so this was coming from uh, the Buddha's great goodwill or metta and compassion. And so uh, he, instead of thinking of just the money and business, then he came back, brought up mindfulness and samadhi, and he was able to make the mind peaceful and gained to Sotapanna, stream entry. And uh, that night he became very ill and died that night. But he was very lucky that the Buddha had great kindness and compassion for him, that Venerable Nanda had come to tell him about that, and that before he died, he was able to see the Dhamma. And so try to establish yourself and be in the present moment as much as you can. The next question is from an anonymous. Dear Ajahn, thanks so much for taking up this question. May I know how one can practice middle path as a lay person, especially a mother of two children, aged seven and one? Am I being selfish by attending retreats Dhamma, despite the children being so young? Usually, if possible, I would love to bring them to attend the session. Am I being selfish too? Thanks, Ajahn. So assisting and bringing up your child or children. Uh, this is practicing Dhamma within our own minds. Uh, having metta, goodwill, loving kindness and compassion is bhavana, it is developing the mind. And uh, a mother is the Brahma god of the children, the first teachers of the children. So for your children, one year and seven years old, uh, you have that status. Uh, and so when you have uh, the time for yourself that you're not skipping over any of the duties that you have to do, that everything's ready and everything's been looked after well, then you can go to practice the Dhamma. Uh, and if, if you don't have the time to go on a meditation retreat, uh, that's fine. You can also do your own practice at home. You do your chanting, you can do meditation, walking meditation. You train the mind when you have the time. Uh, and that isn't selfish because you're using your time to give the utmost benefit. 
And so then when you've trained your mind well, that you have wisdom uh, arise, uh, that all you have these spiritual qualities, then later on you'll be able to teach your child well to have wisdom following you. And at the times when you really have to be looking after your ch children, that maybe they're unwell, then you'll have that uh, endurance, you'll have the metta there to be able to fulfill your duties well. Um, and so you uh, can use your time uh, well when you have uh, the appropriate time. Uh, and even those who have uh, husbands, uh, they still can find the time to practice or uh, have periods where they even uh, seek some seclusion as well. It just comes from being very determined in the mind to practice. Uh, and so the middle path of practice uh, is developing sati mindfulness. Then the mind uh, is practicing the middle path. Uh, having and developing sila, samadhi, panya is the middle path. And so you can, uh, when you're at home, you're not uh, foregoing your duties or skipping over any of your duties so that other people will be inconvenienced and harmed because of it. Um, but you're also not giving up all your time so that you're harmed because of it. So it's just the right amount where you're not causing harm to others and to yourself. Uh, and that's then not being selfish, but is uh, maga. It is the, the path that will f free yourself from suffering. The next question is from an anonymous. Venerable sir, I have been practicing samatha vipassana for more than 10 years have attended retreats in different traditions, starting with my core practice, which continues to be Koen Kachi's Burmese tradition. And though I have been enriched from them all, I always wonder, as a lay person, should I look out for an external guru, or should I just trust my inner guru and just keep walking the Dhamma path on my own? So in Dhamma practice, the developing of Samatha Kamatana and Vipassana Kamatana, the objects of tranquility and insight. Uh, this is what, or the correct path that one will see the Dhamma. Um, and so being within, staying within the Noble Eightfold Path or the trainings of uh, Sila, Samadhi, Panya is the right path. And so you're asking if you need to have a guru or a great teacher, Kubhajan, uh, if you're practicing already and wisdom arises, uh, you're able to see the body, the feelings, perceptions, mental formations, sense consciousness as being simply, uh, so simply just being as they are, uh, you're able to see uh, the Dhamma or see into that Dhamma, um, then uh, you're that's because you're able to stay on the Noble Eightfold Path. Uh, so, but if uh, the mind is very refined, sorry, wait, uh, so if uh, the mind is, or if you're practicing outside of the path or that Noble Eightfold Path, then one won't be able to see the Dhamma. So you may practice by trying to see all 
uh, rupa and nama, material mental phenomena like feelings, simply arising and ceasing, but actually it's not true insight, it's just uh, proliferation, the samadhi is not enough, and it's really just uh, perceptions and thinking there. Um, or if one has a very deep amount of peace, uh, it's very, the mind's very refined, and maybe there arises things like bright lights uh, or visions, um, and one may understand that this uh, is the paths and fruits of uh, Nibbana, then that is uh, something that is uh, worrying because it can be uh, vipassanu kilesa, which is like uh, the defilements of insight, and that can become an obstruction to our path uh, to Nibbana, the paths and fruits of Nibbana. So in that case, then one needs uh, to have a great teacher to help advise one on how to overcome what one is experiencing or being obstructed by, because those uh, Krubhajan or that Krubhajan teacher has been uh, past it or has got past that obstruction already. Uh, it's just like uh, for children, maybe they're very young children um, and they aren't really in much danger because they have their parents looking after them. Uh, maybe they're just seven to ten years old. Um, but later on, when they get older, maybe 14, 15 years old, their body becomes strong and then they have much more of a sense of self come up and maybe they don't listen to their parents anymore. So the practice is the same, that uh, when one is still beginning out, doesn't have much samadhi, then it's not too much of a danger. But later on, if there's very deep samadhi there, the mind goes very deep, there's great rapture and bliss, uh, then, then maybe the gilesas, the defilements will say that, oh, you have to just watch the mind uh, and then you'll be able to attain to arahantship. So it may come up like that or in various ways like that. Um, because one sees that the body is something very coarse, uh, too coarse for one in whatever state one's in now to use for contemplation. So the defilements will say that, oh, having this level of samadhi, then you should contemplate the mind uh, and you'll attain uh, and so this is when one needs to have that teacher, the, the great teacher to uh, help one, advise one, instruct one, because they've gone past it already. Um, and they'll say to have mindfulness and develop mindfulness with the body, see the body clearly. Um, because at the moment that samadhi is really just covering up uh, the defilements there, um, it hasn't yet gone past it. And so we think that we're very high state already, but the great teacher will be able to tell us uh, properly. Um, so if you don't have any problems in your practice right now, then you can just simply go on as you're doing. Um, but you also can't be careless as well in the practice because uh, if you get deluded in the path, then it can be quite scary being deluded in in the path, when one's on the path, is much more scarier than if one's uh, deluded by going outside of the path, because if you've gone outside of the path, you can still come back to the path, 
but if you're deluded and lost inside the path, then it's uh, scary. And that's the type that they believe themselves so much. Uh, and uh, that is the one that obstructs uh, one's path, uh, the paths and fruits of Nibbana. The next question is from an anonymous. Dear Long Pa, I have recently left my job as I wanted to have more time and peace of mind to focus on my practice. However, my attachment to the sense of security that a job and salary brought is much stronger than I thought. This has affected my practice. The thought enters my mind frequently when I am meditating. I feel fear and insecure. Can Long Pa advise how I can remove the attachment of and sense of insecurity? Thank you. So you have to reflect on whether you're really ready and uh, prepared uh, for that type of practice and time. Uh, so you have to see if you have the the wisdom and able to not worry about your circumstance so that you're able to go practice uh, for a period of time alone like that. Uh, for you, you do, or for people, they still have to have a livelihood. They still need to be able to support themselves with the four basic requisites uh, so that you're able to live uh, comfortably in the world. And so those who haven't yet ordained as monastics and they have to look after themselves. Um, and so then you have to think and reflect on your situation to see if you're really ready or, or not. If you don't work, will you be okay or not? Uh, if you get sick, then what will you do? Will you be able to be okay or not? So you, you, you may not be, be ready for it, uh, that level of time and practice. And so then you may have to go find some money and wealth in the world for a period of time so that you can prepare yourself well. Uh, so that you can practice in a way that you don't have to work and you won't have to worry about the future. Um, because you do have to be able to look after yourself, help yourself. Uh, so all people they have to think in this way, uh, what happens if I don't have work, will I then have enough money to, to live on? Um, even those who go to ordain for the rest of their life, uh, before they go, they may have thoughts sort of circling all around the world and in all situations and thinking about how will I be able to live and get by? What happens if I don't have money then and I've given everything up? What happens if I get sick? Um, so they have to think about that but in summary or conclusion then you can think that this life of yours it's uncertain uh, it's not sure how long you're going to live for you may die very soon even um, but and if you're the mind's able to accept that that if if you have to die then so be it then uh, you're able to overcome uh, the, the thoughts and worries all troubles and difficulties from your choice in devoting, dedicating yourself to practice like that. Uh, so you, for you, you've already given up your job, so you might as well try it out then. 
try to see that this worry that you have is something normal. Um, if you go and if you are working, then you would be still worrying, but in a different type or worrying about other things. So you can see and contemplate that life, it may only be a span of one day left, or maybe even just half a day. So you can think uh, that if you're able to reflect in this way, if you can reflect on this death, then, uh, then you may not have thoughts and worries uh, like you're having. So you can just try to practice first, um, try to be able to overcome that uh, worry. Uh, but if you can't overcome that worry and the mind's still very uh, restless, then you may have to go back and work and earn some money for a certain amount of time. Uh, and, uh, but if you're able to overcome these sort of mental thoughts and, and objects, then, and you're able to bring up a rapture and bliss in your practice, uh, then that will overcome the worry in the mind. The final question for today is from the UK by uh, Ms. Rasana. Dear Longpa Vandana, I am confused. Beings in the Brahma Loka cannot hear us and they do not need to be born again yet they have not attained Nibbāna. If so, what is the difference between attaining Nibbāna, as the Buddha and many of his disciples did, and being born in Brahmaloka? Please, could you explain, Longpa? Uh, so the Brahmaloka, the Brahma worlds, they're separated by the minds that are of a Lokya, worldly state and of Lokutara, those who have gone beyond the world or have attained. And so there's the Brahma, Brahmas that have, if they've attained to Anagami, the non-returner uh, stage of enlightenment, then uh, that they attained while they were in the human realm, uh, then they're born as a Brahma in the Brahma world. And then from there, they can practice until uh, they reach Nibbāna, uh, fully enlightened. And so they don't need to come back to be reborn in the Dewa or human realms again. But the mind of uh, the Brahma that has not yet attained to any noble uh, attainments, Arya, Pugala, uh, they are covering over the mental defilements. Uh, they have uh, samadhi or they have jhana, uh, the mental absorptions, and they're not interested in experiencing or sense contact from the world. Uh, what they, uh, all the sense experiences, sense contact through the, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and the, the mind, any thoughts, they see it all as being uh, uh, sort of chaotic or, or they, they don't want that. And so, they develop and have uh, samadhi uh, to the level of either the first, second, third, fourth jhana, etc. And so then they're born into the Brahma world, uh, depending on that level of samadhi uh, that they have, but they have not yet uh, won over or defeated 
destroyed the defilements yet. Uh, it's similar to a rock that's placed on the grass um, and the rock is there, but the roots are still intact. Uh, but if you take the rock off, then when the sun uh, hits it, there's water, then the roots of the grass will grow again. And so the mind has not yet been purified or cleansed, uh, but they're able to uh, push and cover over those defilements uh, through that samadhi. And so they also have a skill in, in developing and uh, bringing up that samadhi. And so they're reborn into the, the Brahma world. Uh, but the Brahma, the Brahmas that are of the Lokiya, the worldly type without attainments, they have to be reborn again. Uh, and But if they do meet with the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha, they may be able to uh, reflect on that Dhamma and it can change their minds and they can attain to Arahantship without much difficulty. And that's because their level of Samadhi is very high, they're very skilled at uh, developing that Samadhi. And so we can see that those Arahants that have all the special knowledges when they attain, they have a basis or foundation of a very high level of Samadhi. Uh, then they listen to the Dhamma from the Buddha or from a Sawaka, a disciple, and they can attain uh, straight away to Arahantship. And so this is just something that's how it is. It's, it's a part of, of the natural law of things. So the Brahma that has attained to Anagami, non-returner, already then uh, they can be reborn in one of the five levels or realms in the Brahma world. Aviha, Atapa, Sudasa, Sudasi, and Sudawasa. Sutawata. Uh, and so they will then from there uh, practice onwards increasing the purity of their mind till they become an arahant and uh, attain to Nibbana. But if they have a jhana of a worldly type, uh, even if it's a rupa jhana, the formless jhanas, uh, that has a very, very refined mind state, uh, they'll still have to be reborn again um, because they haven't yet uh, cleansed their mind or purified their mind. But the one who has purified their mind, then they've purified the mind from the causes uh, of suffering, of rebirth, uh, which is they have freed themselves from attachments and are able to then gain to uh, arahantship. And so the Brahma realms or Brahmas are differentiated like that through the worldly, the Lokiya and the Lokutara, the one that's gone beyond the world. So in the beginning, uh, just be able to get the first jhana, uh, develop kanika samadhi, that uh, momentary samadhi stillness, uh, the upajara samadhi access concentration, and then first jhana. You can, you can do it. It just takes training, whether you're a, a monk or a laity, you'll be able to do it. You just may you be able to put effort in and be diligent in this practice.